Hello everybody, uh, and Kia ora. Today we will give you an overview of um, Austroad's new technical specifications for roadworks and bridgeworks uh, that we've developed for uh, road agencies and industry to optimize their efficiency and compliance with contract requirements. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. So first of all, uh, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about our roads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today um, is delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Roscapi. A little bit of housekeeping as usual. Our presenter will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. You can download the slides for today's session and also the brochure um, about the technical specifications from your handout section, uh, which you can find on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, there is also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage during the webinar. If your question relates uh, to any particular slide, please include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. You can also use the same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, that's most likely the issue with your connection. Closing your browser and rejoining the session using your registration link usually helps. Uh, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Also, if you listen to podcasts, you can find Austroads in your podcast app. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenter for today, uh, Richard Edwards. Richard uh, is an independent consultant with over 40 years experience in civil engineering, specializing in infrastructure procurement, technical specifications and contract drafting. Previously, Richard held the position of manager contracting operations at the former South Australian Department of Planning, Transport and Infrastructure. Since leaving the department, Richard has worked uh, on the development of the general conditions of contract for construction and the Austroads technical specifications. Welcome, Richard, and over to you. So uh, this project is a little unlike most Austroads projects in that because of the diverse range of technical topics involved, we haven't been able to establish a single working group for the entire project. And instead, we've tapped into existing working groups wherever possible. So a few examples of those, the uh, bituminous surfacing working group, uh, the road pavement marking group have helped us out with the development of the specifications. Uh, there are, however, quite a few specifications where we don't have an existing working group and with the challenges of COVID, we've had to make do with emails, uh, internet meetings and phone calls. Hopefully with uh, the relaxation of travel restrictions, we can do a bit more face-to-face -face meetings in the future. Joining the project team is David Anderson. David is the former chief executive of uh, Vic Roads, vastly experienced in projects of this nature, particularly working across jurisdictional boundaries and getting alignment in areas. Uh, David is helping us out with uh, some wisdom and guidance at a strategic level. Uh, Austro the Austroads program manager is Ross Guppy and having oversight of the project 
is the Austroads Technical Advisory Group, or ATAG. Uh, ATAG is made up of experienced engineers from each jurisdiction. Uh, they're usually a chief engineer or equivalent, and as mentioned, have oversight of the project, and I'll talk a little bit more about their role further on in the presentation. So now onto the project background and its objectives. As you'd mostly be well aware, most Austroads member agencies rely on their own unique technical specifications for roadworks and bridgeworks projects. These specifications have been developed over many decades, usually in consultation with local industry and suppliers. And uh, those companies would be uh, very familiar with their, their current specifications. Some of these specifications can even be traced back to the 1970s and 1980s when outsourcing became the most common method or a more common method of delivering road infrastructure. Now, uh, in Australia and New Zealand, the road and bridge construction industry more than ever is working across jurisdictional boundaries. Uh, this has been in part facilitated by the Austroads National Pre-Qualification Scheme, but obviously with the advances with uh, technology, the internet and communications, more and more uh, medium-sized companies that previously might've just worked in one state or territory are now working across boundaries. Of course, the specialist suppliers and subcontractors have always supplied products across Australia and New Zealand. Examples of that would be precast concrete elements, fabricated steelwork, uh, bridge bearings, uh, bridge uh, expansion joints, coating systems, and so on. Uh, specialist subcontractors, for example, piling contractors will often work anywhere in Australia and New Zealand, and uh, designers and engineering consultants uh, with modern technology can uh, spend most of their time in their home office just having uh, a small number of visits to the project in some instances and of course with COVID they're often working from home. So more and more uh, jurisdictional boundaries count for less and less. And it's recognised that there will always be some requirements that are going to be unique to a uh, single jurisdiction, uh, standardising specifications and the associated test methods has a potential to significantly improve work processes for everybody involved, whether it's the road agencies, suppliers, consultants, or subcontractors. So the project commenced in 2019, and the two main objectives, and there's a, some uh, sub-objectives to these, deliver efficiencies for industry, and that will in turn lead to cost savings for agencies, and of course the taxpayer, and also to encourage the adoption of best practice construction processes. The project scope is limited to just the construction of roadworks and bridgeworks. We're not looking at things such as tunnels, and we've also excluded some in, uh, specialist areas, uh, intelligent transport systems, for example. Uh, the technology is moving just a bit too quickly for a project like this, and also some other uh, areas such as landscaping and routine maintenance are not covered. Now, I mentioned the ATAG group. ATAG has oversight of the project and provides strategic guidance. It's, as mentioned, it is uh, comprised of senior representatives from each agency. And if necessary, uh, they, these uh, representatives will provide direction on technical matters if, if needed. Hopefully most technical matters can be resolved, but uh, on occasions we do need their guidance to provide that uh, bit of direction for the long term. To date, we've published 14 Austroads technical specifications. They're available on the website, and we'll send you, uh, show you the link to that a little bit later on. Uh, 
approximately 40 are in draft status. Some are very, very close to publication. Hopefully they'll be uh, uploaded within the next month. Some others are just commencing the consultation process and are just about to be sent out for their first round of iterations. The uh, target of the project to have a, a suite of bridge work specifications substantially complete by the end of this calendar year. I think we're well on the way to that. Uh, obviously some tricky technical issues to sort out, but we're making good progress there. And then the majority of the pavement specifications and other roadwork specifications substantially complete by the end of the 2023 financial year. Now that does seem a long way off, but we're looking at nearly 100 specifications. Some of those very, very complex. There's uh, some specifications around 100 pages in length. So it takes quite a long time to work through those. Um, 18 months. Uh, is not unusual for some of the more complex specifications by the time you've gone through a full round of uh, technical consultations. So there's many challenges to this project and just talk about uh, two of the major ones. Firstly, the accommodation to accommodate agency specific requirement. As mentioned, there's uh, a lot of local uh, conditions that we have to be cognizant of and also compatible with different forms of construction contract. Now, uh, for, they're talking about agency-specific requirements. In, in some cases, the existing specifications have been based on an agency's own construction practices. There's a proven track record. They're well known. People are familiar with it. Now, there's legitimate reasons for local variations to standard specifications, uh, climate, availability of construction material, geographical isolation particularly when we're working in remote areas and aggregate or patent materials uh, are um, out of specification, dealing with those as a challenge. So coming up with a perfectly standardised specification across Australia and New Zealand uh, is just a little bit optimistic and we have to be uh, aware of that there will be these local requirements. So to address these, many AHSs will cover uh, or having clauses which are optional. Uh, so you'll see a, a, um, a clause starting off with words like, if specified in the contract documents, this clause will apply. Or there'll be a clause that says, uh, this clause only applies in a certain jurisdiction. And we have a number of those, particularly relating to pre-qualification schemes or registered product schemes applying in a particular state or, or jurisdiction. Um, well, expecting that a number of them will be used with a local supplement, we may need to have a couple of pages that add on local requirements. Uh, for example, uh, spray sealing, you expect to see a local supplement for a number of agencies there. And that's a, a very similar to what's happening with the Austro's design guidelines. Uh, as I mentioned, the construction industry in each jurisdiction will be familiar with the current specifications, so we have to be realistic with the time frame. It will take a little while to adjust and implement these and have to be mindful that test methods, if the NATA accreditation is required, there is uh, some time required to obtain that accreditation. Now, during the uh, uh, development of these specifications, it's not unusual to come across a technical matter, I think, gee, we could do a little bit more work on investigating that. Are those properties the specified correct? Have there been, for example, uh, something happening overseas that is, uh, could impact this, the release of a new standard? But unfortunately, uh, to be realistic, we're not going to be able to deal with those as part of this project. We just simply don't have the time 
and would be unlikely to meet our timeframes if we did investigate all of those. So we've limited the project scope to just existing documentation and if we uh, come across a topic that needs further research, well that will need to be a separate project. A lovely shot there of a uh, remote road, incidentally, I think that's somewhere in the back, uh, outback of near west, in Western Australia. Okay, now onto contract matters. Uh, specifications are an integral part of a construction contract. So the ATS need to be compatible with uh, forms of construction. Sometimes it's very easy to overlook the fact that they are part of a contract and just focus just purely on the technical requirements. Now in Australia and New Zealand, there's quite a number of general conditions of contract in use. Uh, AS2124, uh, very well known, dates back to 1992. AS4000, often used by local councils, 1995. AS4902 is design and construct with the New Zealand standards, uh, 3910 and 3915. Uh, National Capital Works 4, which is published by Austroads and the APCC uh, jointly. In New South Wales, the GC21, and Queensland, we have TIC, or the Transport Infrastructure Contract. Uh, there's also non-traditional forms, uh, alliances, uh, of course, and major projects, particularly if there's pro, uh, private funding involved, will often have a bespoke deed. So we've spent a lot of time in drafting these ATS to carefully avoid uh, conflicts with these, special, these uh, general conditions of contract. Now, with most of those general conditions that I've referred to, there'll be a principal who actually pays the contractor. The principal's usually in a, in a public sector environment, it's the asset owner or project funder. And under the contract, there'll be a person or several persons appointed to administer the contract and verify that the work is compliant. So depending on the contract uh, used, the title of this person uh, can be superintendent, administrator, projects or principals authorised person, contract verifier, and there's a few others such as independent reviewer, project reviewer, and so on. Now, because of that lack of consistency, we, we haven't been able to insert that the name of that contract administrator, so you won't see a reference to somebody like a superintendent in these documents. We've had to just uh, re rely on the term principal, and in many conditions of contract, uh, we'll have to have a a, uh, a clause delegating the uh, powers of the principal to the superintendent or whoever that person might be. Uh, if the general conditions don't use the term principal, uh, I don't think that's very common in Australia, but I know the UK new engineering contract uses the term uh, employer, which is interesting in the context of Australian contract law, or a bespoke deed may use a different term. So if you're using one of those contracts, then you'd need a, an additional sentence somewhere in the contract to say that the, um, the powers of the principal um, or the person, uh, the, such as the employer, uh, delegates their powers to the principal for the uh, administration of the uh, specification. Now, something which has uh, caught a lot of people's attention, uh, we've adopted the contemporary drafting practice of using the word must instead of shall. And for those of you in New South Wales and South Australia, that won't raise any eyebrows. Uh, it's consistent with most modern forms of, con uh, of contract. Uh, GC21 from New South Wales and the Austroads MPWC4, we use the term must. And if you've worked in uh, a non-infrastructure commercial contract, 
uh, you'll probably be familiar that must is the uh, very commonly used in those contracts in Australia, and particularly if it's a recently drafted contract. And there's no problem with the inconsistency of the term shall, which is included in Australian and New Zealand con uh, standards. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, if you have some questions, there's a the sidebar that you can type your question into and please include the slide number that your question relates to. Okay, so we'll just talk about the framework generally. We've uh, adopted a framework for the specifications which is uh, consistent with what's uh, used by many of the road agencies and adopted a, uh, a number of series. The 1000 series is general. At the moment, we're just about to release ACE. ATS uh, 1120 quality management uh, will be followed by a few others, but uh, there's in total there's not a lot of specifications in the 1000 series. However, when we move to the 2000 series, Strain Engine Earthworks, there's uh, quite a few more. I've just listed a, a bit of a random sample of the type of specifications in, included in the 2000 series. Others will be things like stone columns, lime stabilisation of uh, earthworks subsoil drainage and uh, so on. The 3000 series, which is uh, quite a, a technically challenging and interesting suite of documents is uh, pavement. So it includes uh, spray sealing and uh, there's, uh, might mention ATS 3460, which has been released, which is a performance-based specification. Hopefully very soon we'll release uh, ATS 3220 supply of spray sealing aggregates. We're about to start work on uh, flexible pavement specifications. So we'll have the specification for unbound granular pavement and uh, some specifications for lightly bound or heavily bound pavements. It could be uh, lime stabilisation, cement stabilisation, foam stabilisation, either it's in situ or plant-based. We'll also have uh, asphalt specifications. Uh, again, that's going to be quite challenging and the exact number of specifications hasn't been uh, finalised that. It, it could be just a few or, or it could be um, quite a number. We'll just have to work out what the optimum number is. There's a few miscellaneous specifications such as microsurfacing and one I perhaps I should have listed there was uh, rigid concrete pavements where we're just starting some internal consultation amongst the road agencies on that right now. That shot incidentally there I believe is in uh, outback Queensland uh, doing some uh, flood rehabilitation work there after a road was damaged. Okay, uh, traffic facilities, incidental construction. Now we haven't really done a lot of work in this area but all the obvious ones such as uh, pavement marking, safety barriers, signs, roadside furniture, lighting columns, installation of columns and so on. Now many of those products are supplied nationally across Australia and New Zealand at the moment so I think there'll be a, a lot of benefit from having those specifications up and running. Now onto another very challenging area, Bridgeworks. Done quite a lot of work here. As I mentioned, we're hoping to have these uh, reasonably complete before the end of the calendar year. And I've just got a sample there of some of the specifications that are well underway or um, maybe just about to be released. Uh, piling, there's uh, about seven different specifications proposed there. Driven piles, cast in situ piles, CFA piles, 
Uh, we've also got one on dynamic pile testing. Quite a lot of specifications on concrete, supply of concrete placement, precast units, pre-stressed, pre-tensioned units, post-tensioned units, sprayed concrete, and so on. Of course, with our uh, keeping in mind the environmental benefits, we've got uh, geopolymer concrete, also bearings, expansion joints, and a few other incidental ones, some uh, challenging ones there, incrementally launched uh, concrete girders as an example. Now, delving into some detail now, the structure and format. The specifications have a unique Ostroads appearance and format. They, they don't follow or look like any uh, current road agency specification. But if you open up an, an Ostroads guidelines or publication, the uh, style and formatting will look very familiar to the and, and uh, follows those uh, Ostroads standards. As far as possible, the clause numbering is consistent with an HATS. For example, clause four will always be quality management requirements. If there are design requirements, and I'll talk about that in the future, uh, that will be clause five. The following clause will usually be constituent materials and so on. So we've got a consistent logic and layout uh, to these specifications, which we're trying our best to follow for every one of them. The wording style is very traditional, and I've got an example there, the contractor must place the bearing within the tolerances. Da, 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 da. So I think people will be very uh, comfortable and familiar with the wording style, going to a great deal of effort to make it uh, a, a priority that it's easily understood and not ambiguous. That means a lot of the sentences are very short, uh, succinct, and spending a lot of time just on laying uh, on the layout of the actual clauses themselves so that they're unlikely to be misinterpreted. We've used paragraph numbering. Uh, that's uh, familiar to people in South Australia and Western Australia. It's used in their specifications at the moment. That means each individual paragraph has a number. The idea of that is that it uh, facilitates the production of uh, checklists and inspection and test plans in the field, and it makes it very easy to tie in uh, a particular requirement out in the field to a requirement in the specification because you can link it exactly to the number. Uh, paragraph numbering is a fairly contemporary approach being quite often used in legal documents and a lot of European and British standards are now adopting it as their default uh, method of uh, presenting documents. Okay, so a little bit more about the detail of the specifications. Firstly, how we develop them. It's a three-stage process, uh, in theory at least. Start off with, we do a desktop analysis of existing specifications and what we call an initial draft ATS is developed from those specifications. So that's without any consultation or discussion. It's what's out there published at the moment. And usually that document is a fairly long, cumbersome ATS. And uh, in the, as we proceed with the development of it, it usually gets simplified and clarified. Stage two is a circulation of that initial draft amongst the road agencies. And we'll start revising that as appropriate as we get feedback. In some instances, we've had uh, as many as 20 or 30 minor revisions of the specification. Stage three is sending out the draft ATS to relevant industry organisations and taking on board their comments. Normally, there's a reasonable amount of overlap between stage two and stage three. 
in the case of uh, some of the bituminous surfacing specifications because it's been uh, the working group has been involved with the development of it the industry representation has seen uh, drafts of those very early on in the process now talking about design this has been quite difficult to deal with in the development of these specifications because fundamentally they're meant to be construction specifications it's not the intent to come up with uh, design specifications proper place for those are the Austro design guidelines and the road agency supplements to those such as technical notes and also where appropriate there's Australian standards covering design uh, obvious example of that AS5100 bridge design so we're not trying to uh, duplicate that uh, we're trying to see clear of it however there's many areas and it's particularly applicable to uh, proprietary products where it's not sensible to separate out the uh, design requirements. Uh, the manufacturer of supply is ordinarily responsible for the design and it makes sense in those cases to include design requirements in the in the supply specification. An uh, example of that, uh, bridge expansion joints, you wouldn't expect the person responsible for the overall bridge design to want to delve into the minute detail of the intricacies of a bridge expansion joint that's best left to the manufacturer who's got off the shelf proprietary products. So in summary, we do have a few design requirements in these specifications. Uh, another example, an important one is concrete mix design, where there's limitations on the water cement ratio and minimum cement content uh, relating to the design of those mixes. Occasionally, there can be requirements for the design of temporary work. An example of that would be the launching nose on an incrementally launched bridge where there might be special design requirements. Given a fair bit of thought to the logical structure of these specifications and have used the approach of staging or separating out the specifications into the following um, structure, planning the work, undertaking the work, surveillance and testing and reporting. So to start off with planning the work, the contractor always has a responsibility to set out how they're going to deliver the work in a quality plan and to submit that uh, to the contract administrator. There's a default time in the specifications of 10 working days before the commencement of work, but that can be varied in complex areas that might need to be a longer time. And quite often in a, uh, a tender submission, a draft or post-tender submission, a draft quality plan will be required uh, by the project uh, agency when undertaking the tender assessment. So uh, this each ATS will clearly outline what needs to be in that quality plan. Usually the content will be procedures, work instructions, materials data sheets, inspection and test plans. Uh, also there can be requirements for approved or registered products which might apply in a particular jurisdiction. Okay. Now the bulk of each specification is about undertaking the work. As I mentioned earlier, it's a, based on the existing specifications and will be a combination in most cases of performance and prescriptive requirements. So a typical performance-based clause is, that, is below. Uh, a size seven seal treatment must have a mean texture depth between one and 1.6 millimeters. Da, da, da. In most cases, we'll actually have that tabulated, but uh, that's an example of a typical performance requirement. On the other hand, a prescriptive requirement is uh, Follows cementitious materials must remain in their original soil sealed moisture resistance bags or containers until time of use. 
So trying not to break any new ground there with uh, performance or prescriptive specifications. Now, very importantly, the default situation is the contractor is responsible for verifying that their work conforms to the specified requirements. Now, there may be odd exceptions to that. If you have a um, cost plus scenario, that may not apply. Uh, it may be in some remote locations, it's not cost effective to apply that principle, but I'd suspect in probably 99% of situations, it's the contractor has to verify uh, that the work complies. Uh, the verification can be by uh, observation of processes or surveillance, and usually there'll be a, a contract administrator representative there as well, or it can be by measurement and testing, and that can be during production. An example of that is slump testing of plastic concrete, or it could be the completed product. An example of that would be compression testing of a hardened concrete cylinder. We've also included witness points and hold points at critical stages, and I'll show you uh, examples of that uh, further on. Uh, I mentioned wherever possible, we like to use tables, and I've got an example here of a table which sets out the property, the test method, acceptance criteria, and test frequency, trying to make it very clear uh, what's required of the contractor there, and sometimes there'll be some additional columns with uh, comments or further details. The contractor is obliged to submit uh, records from inspection and testing, and that is a uh, an entitlement to file, um, being to become entitled to final payment. They must submit all those records. Um, however, there, there are some non-critical non work situations where it might only be that you, they're required to sub be submitted when requested by the contract administrator. Uh, records are often associated with a whole point, and at the end of each ATS, we have NHA, and that's a summary of hold points, witness points, and records. So just jumping in here to some, uh, some excerpts from uh, some typical specifications, and these are just to illustrate what a specification looks like. Uh, obviously, the first clause will talk about the, the scope and introduction to the specification. Uh, we'll then move into the reference documents. Wherever possible, uh, Australian standard or New Zealand standards are referenced for preference. And uh, we see there a list there. It's not unusual in some complex specifications to have a, a list going into a number of pages of, of reference documents. Uh, there will be a clause on definitions. If a, if a definition is defined in an Australian standard, we'll prefer not to repeat it in this document. Otherwise, you have the issue of where you draw the line. Clause four was always quality system requirements, and there's an example of the quality plan uh, tabulated so you can easily see what it is has to be in the quality plan and the corresponding clause that you need to refer to. We have here an example of a witness point. Uh, a witness point is a situation where the contractor has to advise, formally advise the contract administrator that the work is about to take place. Contract administrator doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to take undertake surveillance if they don't want to. And the contractor can simply proceed uh, on with that work. Now, this is uh, in contrast to a hold point. I've shown an example hold point here, which is usually for more critical work. In this case, the contractor can't proceed past the hold point until that hold point has been released. And that is usually for much more critical work. 
and the, uh, it might be test results need to be provided or the contractor or the work needs to be inspected uh, because of something, say, um, an in-situ concrete pour that needs an inspection before the work is permitted to continue. Uh, and as you see there, uh, the hold points and witness points are highlighted in the specification, so there's no excuse for missing one of those. Shown here is an example of a jurisdiction-specific requirement, in this case saying if a, uh, a fabricator uh, is doing work for a project to be erected in Queensland, they have to be uh, registered with transport and main roads. Very important to notice that where the work is to be erected or constructed on site is the main criteria. So this would apply to a fabricator who's working in another state. Uh, as I mentioned, Annexure A at the end of the specification is summary of whole points, witness points and records. Not all uh, records are associated with a uh, whole point. Uh, an example of that is the uh, as constructed drawings. In this case, it's covered in clause 13. There's no whole point there because obviously the work's completed, but if the contractor wants their final payment, they have to submit them. And this is a very clear reminder of their obligation to submit those documents. Now, each ADS is predicated on having a quality management system based on uh, ISO 9001. That's uh, nothing new there. All the existing uh, specifications are based on 9001. ATS 1120, quality management requirements. It sets out some extra over requirements in addition to 9001, because uh, 9001 is, is very general and uh, without these extra over requirements in a construction scenario, could be subject to a lot of different interpretations. So the purpose of that is to clarify it. Uh, ATS 1120 is based on existing agency specifications, so the content should be very familiar to most uh, uh, contractors and contract administrators. It's intended for major construction contracts. Uh, a simplified version for minor works uh, will probably follow at some later stage. An example of that would be a contractor doing installation of roadside safety barriers. They wouldn't need a full-blown ISO 9000 system, uh, 9001 system, but there are some quality elements there, such as uh, hold points and documentation that uh, are applicable. Now, and a very important element is keeping the ATS up to date uh, for them to have to be, have credibility. Uh, some effort needs to be put into regularly reviewing them. Now, uh, this can come back, but this can be a result of uh, during the implementation, People recognise that uh, some additional wording is required or something needs clarification, could be changes in technology. But in addition to that, uh, we want to put in a regular process of review where a formal review will take place at a fixed time period. So uh, the specification will be sent out to each jurisdiction asking them, is there any uh, suggested improvements that can be made? recognise this will take uh, some resources and it is a very essential component of having a, a full system of um, Ostroids technical specifications. Just finally, the currently published specifications are on the Ostroids website, there's a link there. 14 at the moment and hopefully to, we'll increase that number as the year goes on. Uh, and you can see there, as I mentioned, they're broken down into uh, these series, we should also add that shortly there'll be um, 
the, the 1000 series for the publication of the quality management specification. So on, on that note, uh, we're now into questions. Thank you very much, um, Richard. Let me just this back. Everyone can see my screen. Thanks so much for um, a very interesting presentation. And we have a few questions from um, our audience. So I will start with this one. Uh, what commitment has state transport agencies made to adopt these specifications in place of their existing standards? I, I can't speak on behalf of individual agencies. And uh, this has been discussed at length because there is quite a process to implement these. But my understanding is that the agencies are, are committed to adopting these and are looking into the mechanism now of how to implement them. Thank you. Um, is there a link uh, or connection uh, between these specifications uh, and other uh, specifications, for example, like um, OST spec? Uh, these are being developed independently of OSPEC. Mm -hmm. the, um, the primary logic for the specification is what's currently published by agencies at the moment. So we're not really looking at, at other industries. Um, there can be overlap, obviously, in some areas, the building industry, when it comes to, say, precast concrete elements, say, for noise walls, for example, even though they're on the road network, uh, they might be arguably a, a building element, but we're not looking at them as building elements seriously. It's thinking this is, we're, we're about the road network. Um, thank you. Um, another question. So um, duration of um, defects liability period relates to whether mm -hmm. the specification requirements are prescriptive or performance-based. So if specs are a combination of prescriptive and performance requirements, how does the impact, how does that impact the differing uh, DLPs um, used in different forms of uh, contract used by jurisdictions? Yeah, okay. It's a, a very, very complex question and probably worthy of a, a presentation that could go for an hour or more in its own right. Uh, it depends exactly on the wording of the specification concerned and the general conditions of contract. So our only real performance-based specification up there at the moment is uh, for spray seals. And that will refer to uh, a, a period at which a certain performance requirement needs to be met. And it's usually two years down the road. So the road agencies there are taking a punt that if the surface texture of the seal after two years is in good nick, then we're expecting that the design life of what might be 10, 15 years, depending on the environment, will be achieved. So that's an example where a performance-based specification is aligned with a performance-based contract. However, in a lot of instances, as the water gets very muddy, if we talk about performance specifications, because people might think then of say concrete strength as a, uh, a performance requirement. Uh, that might be, uh, concrete strength might be a, a proxy for uh, durability, but we, we can't have a defects liability period of the 100 year life that we want for a, um, a bridge. So we get there into a, a, a very difficult area of a mixture of method specifications uh, to give ourselves confidence that we're going to get a, a, a 100 year life out of a bridge. Just to look back at the example there that I gave, uh, we specified prescriptively that the uh, cementitious material has to be in a sealed bag. Uh, it's 
difficult to put a, um, a performance requirement uh, or a performance test for that. So there's still going to be a lot of prescriptive requirements around. Uh, a very, very complex subject. Uh, certainly had it in mind. The, the quick answer is that with um, most of these specifications, the, the situation will be very similar to what we have with the current road agency specifications. Thank you. Um, so questions are coming in. Thanks so much, everyone. Um, so what is the thinking about stipulating the commercial aspects, uh, for example, condition precedent to payment? Uh, this makes it aligned with a lump sum contract model, but not so aligned with other models. Um, there's almost nothing in this document uh, or in these documents about payment. Uh, that is a, a very deliberate decision so that agencies have the freedom then to uh, use their existing payment methods, whether it's a scheduler rates or lump sum or, or even a combination of that. So when I, I talked about a, a, a um, say, as-built constructed drawings as a condition of precedent to payment, uh, that's uh, up to the agency as to how they word that in their payment schedules. But if you, and, and uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, tricky to generalise here, but usually uh, the general conditions of contract to say, well, the, the contractor must have fulfilled their obligations to be entitled to payment. So uh, if it's a lump sum, if you haven't got a as constructed drawings and the specification says you must prepare as constructed drawings, well, you're not entitled to full payment. You'd possibly get 90% or something less. But largely that's up to how the, the agency specifies payment so that they could uh, put in a scheduler rates contract uh, an amount, say 10% for production of as constructed drawings. Um, thank you. Um, so next question, um, it again relates to the adoption of the specifications by uh, road agencies. So based on your discussions with road agencies, is it anticipated that they will adopt each individual specification as it is published or wait until they are all completed and switch across in one big step? Yeah, I simply can't answer that. Uh, I, I know a couple of other uh, a couple of agencies are very keen to adopt the performance-based specification for spray seals and uh, we have in place at the moment a uh, one of the first ones we prepared was polymer modified binders and I'm pretty sure that is in use. So in those circumstances they are actually uh, in use in, by some agencies or about to be adopted but whether it'll be a, um, a just wait for a point in time when all are adopted by that particular agency. I just simply can't uh, talk for those agencies and recognising it. It, it is a very, very significant step and uh, there's a lot of work involved and uh, it has to be thought through in, with some uh, care. Thanks, Richard. Um, another question is about recycling. So it is obviously very important as waste has a huge negative impact on the natural environment across the nation. So what consideration has been given to, uh, to the use of recycled materials across the various ATS? Yeah, um, environmental considerations is probably num the number one concern that uh, external consultation has identified. Uh, the, um, so not only recycling, but uh, the amount of carbon generated and say, for example, in the production of uh, concrete and steel, it's a very, very big issue. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, this, this project is about adopting uh, existing specifications. So uh, a specification for recycled plastic or rubber in uh, patent materials or uh, noise barriers itself is a, a separate project. But where that work has been done, we want to grab the, the specification very, very quickly. Uh, an example of that is crushed glass. We hope to have a, in fact, I didn't particularly mention it, but we hope to have a, an ATS uh, for crushed glass uh, up very soon, as soon as that particular project has uh, been approved. Uh, recycled uh, plastic, I believe, uh, can be used in noise walls and just sorting through some technical requirements for that. And then as soon as those technical matters are sorted out, we'll have a, um, an ATS uploaded as soon as we can for those. And of course, uh, rubber in, um, uh, in, in uh, and, and pavements is um, uh, a consideration and um, uh, geopolymer concrete, although it's not specifically recycling, the, the use of fly ash is, is a, a big factor in uh, cement and supplementary cementaceous materials uh, slag. So we're very keen to promote those to the maximum extent we can. Thanks, Richard. Um, so another question, it is critical that suppliers, uh, manufacturers are aware of all changes as and when they happen. And at times this does not happen um, uh, well at the moment. Has there been any thought given to the notification process to suppliers to ensure that there are no surprises? It is challenging because of the number of people involved. Wherever possible, we're consulting with the relevant uh, industry group. For example, uh, we've just recently had a, a conversation with a representative of the CCF. Uh, we've also had a, um, a meeting with uh, the um, Australian Flexible Pavements Association and, and the Concrete Industry Association. So we're doing our best to consult with those. It, it is very challenging because sometimes there aren't uh, industry groups that might represent a particular segment of industry. Well, we're doing our best to keep those groups involved, and uh, but we are mindful that it is something we, we really have to pay a fair bit of attention to. Uh, no simple answer, we just keep on doing our best and trying to raise awareness through our webpage. Thank you. Um, so are these specifications take precedence over the MRTS standards in Queensland? Uh, look, that, that is a, a particular question for Queensland, and I'm sure they're giving, uh, I know they are giving a lot of thought to this, but when, when a, one of these is uh, released, it well, so just go back a step, it will depend on uh, what their contract says. So if we were in a transition phase, the mere fact that one of these has been published doesn't mean it's necessarily incorporated into the contract. We'll need to read the contract wording and the contract scope to understand exactly what the precedence is, if, if, even if there is one. Um, it is certainly a challenge to implement these specifications. Thank you. Um, uh, we have a scenario here uh, and our participant is asking, so say contractor uh, committed a mistake, a compromise in the quality of the project. However, the issue is minor and specific to certain conditions. So what protocols should be followed and how to handle the situation? Okay. The ATS fundamentally are a very black and white um, scenario, and that's a very deliberate decision in doing that. The, the exercise of discretion when you have a, a, a minor non-conformance 
is it really is covered in two areas. Firstly, the general conditions of contract and then ATS uh, 1120 or a current quality management specification where the contractor puts forward a, a non-conformance report and if it's something minor, then the report might suggest accept as is or accept with a, um, a patent deduction and, and hopefully it'll also have a corrective action in there to prevent it happening again. So uh, that's the area where minor discrepancies are dealt with and then the contract administrator can and then reply yes, accept as is or if, if they really think no, I don't agree, it's a, it is a serious matter that it needs to be rectified. Uh, so that's, that's where it is but the, the technical ATS take a, a very black and white view of the world. Thank you, Richard. Um, so what was the project procedure on industry consultation during the development of the first draft and future revisions? Um, so in Transport for New South Wales specifications, the imperative language was adopted and our participants are saying that uh, from the experience that improved clarity and dramatically reduced legal claims. So will Australians consider a similar approach? Uh, when the uh, ATS were first adopted uh, or first developed, I spent uh, quite a long time, quite literally six months, trying various uh, contracting styles, wording, layout and so on. Uh, as I mentioned, we've adopted a, uh, a conventional style. We haven't adopted the imperative mood. Uh, now, I'll, I'm sure you can ask many different people and get many, many different answers about uh, the, the style and wording of contract. Clarity is uh, one of the most important things in developing these specifications and uh, whilst we've had to adopt in some instances uh, existing wording, you will find the wording is along the lines of the contractor must do something. So it's totally unambiguous. Um, the contractor is fully obliged. If they don't, they're in breach of contract. So there's no doubt, it's absolutely black and white. Um, in a number of instances, we won't use the word contract, we might just say surface finish on the precast concrete element must comply with AS 36.1 um, 36 uh, class two. Surface finish, there's no um, uh, ambiguity. It's not up to the discretion of the superintendent. It's not should comply or an objective or like that. It's absolutely black and white. So I'd be very surprised if anybody can maintain a claim that there's ambiguity about these ATSs. Thank you. Um, so will you be introducing alternatives to the standard double bars mentioned um, in the Austroads Pavement Technology Guide Part 2, such as speed baskets um, and so on? Uh, look, I'm afraid that's out of my depth there. I'm not a technical expert. I'm a, my background is, is contracts. Uh, so I'm afraid I'm just not in a position to ask that, but um, hopefully there are working groups, uh, Austroids working groups that are looking at that and, and uh, when it comes to time to deal with specification of that area, uh, the working groups will have a, a very, very significant input into the development of those specifications. Thank you, Richard. Um, so what applicability will the ATS have in the local government area? Uh, that's up to the local government agencies, but uh, we've certainly had in mind that other uh, branches of government may wish to use these. There's some specifications might be regarded as being uh, a little bit heavy duty for a light suburban street, uh, particularly in the pavements area. Uh, but say in the case of a concrete bridge, uh, I'd like to think that 
these specifications would be perfectly applicable to a bridge in the local government network, um, assuming that they also have a 100 year design life and designing to AS5100. Mm -hmm. um, so you may have already mentioned this, but our participants wanted you to confirm when the ATS uh, 5315 uh, will be published online. Uh, uh, that so um, supply of concrete that's still going through uh, some discussions. Uh, there that has been probably one of the most challenging of all specifications because there are different ways of specifying concrete and there are um, many issues associated that with that um, including self-compacting concrete minimum levels of um, uh, cementitious materials and so on and uh, the linkages between concrete strength and concrete durability so we have a, a lot of work to do there it has been um, I, I think the end result will be well worth the uh, the effort involved uh, at, um, because Concrete is an expensive product, um, so you, you don't want to over-specify, but on the same time, where we want a 100-year design life, and uh, re replacing a bridge after 30 years is just not on. So we have to give a lot of thought and consideration to concrete. Thanks. Um, just right. one more question uh, came in. So general revision of the specification may not satisfy the time frame um, of an individual agency. Is there a provision for supplement by an individual agency to cover its emerging needs uh, due to an evolving nature of technology from time to time? Uh, yes, we, we recognise that um, agencies will have their own supplements and that's a situation uh, where that could happen. Ideally, we'd like to think that we can respond fairly quickly, but they've just got to be realistic at the, the stages. So we're, we're working on potentially 100 specifications, so uh, it, it's not going to be feasible to get all those perfect from day one. Uh, however, I'd like to think that once these are bedded down, that we can respond fairly quickly uh, to those. And, and I think the as time goes on, local supplements should diminish. Thanks, uh, Richard. Uh, well, that seems uh, seem to be our last question. Um, we can probably wait for a few seconds. Um, if you guys want to send any more questions, just please send them through. Otherwise, we will wrap up. We'll just give you one minute. If there's anything else you want to know? Uh, it's the time. All right, I think we will um, wrap up here. Thanks so much, Richard, and thanks everybody Thank you. for your great questions, um, very interesting Q&A. Um, so before we finish, just a few words about our future webinars. We have a variety of sessions, as you can see. Um, on the 25th of May, we will present new guides to road design. In June, uh, please join us for a series of webinars to learn about a new framework and tools for asset preservation and renewal. Uh, on the 22nd of June, we will talk about asset data collection for road pavement performance. So there are more sessions. Uh, to learn more about all of them, please visit our website.
And as usual, uh, when we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. And once again, uh, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the video when it's available on our website. So thanks again, everybody. Um, stay well and safe uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time.